Good morning, City Hope family. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Come on, give yourselves a big hand. You guys look amazing. What a beautiful weekend we have had, right? Absolutely amazing. Well, listen, I'm so glad that you guys are in church today. Um, we're going to uh, kind of continue this series that we started last week. Uh, but first, let me just welcome our family, uh, City Hope Mobile. It's great having you guys with us, Foley, Baymanette, everybody that's watching online, and Holman Correctional, Fountain Correctional. It is so good to have the family together, right? One house, many rooms. So Malvis, can you guys help me? Let's welcome our church family today. Let me, uh, let me just add just a little bit more on next weekend, um, because you all know Easter at City Hope is going to be phenomenal, it's going to be amazing, and of course we're here to celebrate. We're going to be here to celebrate and really to party. We're going we're gonna to have this celebration of what God has done through Jesus Christ, what he's done for each and every one of us, um, and I'm excited about it. I hope you're excited about it. I know everybody's going to look their best. But I hope and I pray that you come with, with expectation, with anticipation uh, for God to do something amazing. And of course, you're bringing your guests, and it's going to be awesome. But one quick thing that I just like, just kind of a hint for happiness. Does anybody like hints for happiness? Right? You kind of like to know like some things that just kind of make life a little bit easier. So here's one. Okay? Get here early. Okay? I know that, gets, that completely goes against everything that you know in the world. Okay? Especially for my wife. Okay, she actually designs her own service time. She, her service time is at 1137. Um, but listen, don't do that next weekend. Next weekend, be on time because the opening element is absolutely going to be beautiful. It's going to be absolutely amazing. You don't want to miss it. So make sure your guests are here early. Get in the room. Get a seat. And listen, every campus is going to be packed. We have intentionally, we haven't added a ton of services this year. We've intentionally just, we're going to pack the place out. There's going to be energy. There's going to be buzz. There's going to be, there, there's going to be this anticipation as we celebrate the risen king. All right, so be here early. It's going to be awesome. Put a smile on your face and enjoy Easter Sunday, okay? And then you can go out and have chocolate and Easter bunnies and all the, the stuff. Okay, but get to church, make it a big deal, and of course Saturday night, uh, for those of you that, uh, that want to do Saturday night and want to kind of maybe miss some of the rush and some of the busyness, then Saturday night is going to be an awesome option for you to do that. All right, let me jump into week two, part two of Me to We. Last week we kicked off this series with just kind of a simple premise of, of and, and you guys know this, most of us know this, that there is power and potential in we. However, we live in a world that's very much focused on me and what I want. Um, this week, as I was kind of, you know, preparing and thinking through this, I've got an 18-month-old son, um, and it's very, very obvious, it's very, very evident that um, my 18-month son, 18-month-old son, he never needed me to teach him how to be selfish. Do you, do you understand that? Do you, do you know that to be true in your own kids, right? Like when they're little and they stand up on their high chair and they scream for more food, or they fall on the floor in the middle of Target, and you're like, kid, this is the most embarrassing moment of my life, but they don't care. Why? Because it's all about me. It's a natural thing that every single one of us are born with. We think the world revolves around me. But there's no power, there's very little power or potential in what you can do alone. But man, when we come together, and specifically when we come together as the church, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are unstoppable. Nothing can keep us back. Nothing can keep us down. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it, and not even the gates of hell 
can stand against it. And we are that church. The church we talked about last week is not a building, it's not a location, it's not a denomination, it's not a type, it's the people. It's the gathering, it's the movement of God. And that's who we are. And Jesus chose to create the church. He chose to build the church as the only way to distribute himself to the world. We, as the church, are the way that Jesus himself designed for his love, his grace, his mercy to get into the world. It's us. Listen, we're plan A. We are it. We, the church, we are the way he is going to get into the world. So it's time for us to actually be the we that we're called to be, the church. It's us. It's all on us. And last week I talked about the first church and kind of how it began in Acts as on, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after uh, the, the resurrection, and, and, and Peter and all the disciples, about 100 or so of them, 120 or so of them, were up in this room, and they were praying, and the, the Holy Spirit shows up, and Peter begins to preach to the multitudes, and 3,000 people on that first day give their heart to Christ. Just like that, it's a big church. Just like that, God is moving and doing something amazing. And in the very next passage, the very next portion of Scripture... We see the first church. We see what it looks like. And that's kind of where I want to start off today. I want to look at Acts 2, verse 42 through verse 47. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They, they devoted themselves to the church. This is the church. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, the, the miracles and the life change and all the things that were happening, the testimonies and all these things that were, that were going on. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. They were, they were living a generous life. They were get, living a life of community. They were living a life of being connected one to another. They were living a life of outreach. They were, they were giving of themselves in a way that no one had ever done before. And they were reaching out to the community and they were, they were doing servolution. They were doing serve days. They were doing things in their world to make a difference. Um, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Listen, every single day they gathered together. And it's tough, I know, it's tough for us to make it once a week, right? But every single day they gathered together and then... They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every, I mean, every week, every month, they were in homes. They were doing small groups together. They were breaking bread together. They were sitting across a table and learning and growing together. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people of this community. And the last verse of this says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here was this beautiful community, one like no one had ever seen before. There was love and there was respect and there was unity. There was outreach, there was generosity. The Spirit of God was moving and the Lord began to add to their number. And people began to, to come and show up and get saved and give their life to Christ. This is what the first church looked like. But where I want to focus in, I want to kind of hone in today is actually one statement. All of this is beautiful. All of this is amazing. All of this is a beautiful picture of a, of a we community. But there's one statement at the very beginning that I think the whole thing hinges on. As a matter of fact, I think it's the reason why the church went from the first century and is still alive in the 21st century. And it's this one statement, the very first three words, they devoted themselves. 
They devoted themselves. They were committed. They were a part of it. This wasn't just something that they did. This wasn't a me sport. It was a we sport. They were completely bought in and connected. They were devoted to the gospel. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to this community. They were devoted to one another that we were, man, I will sell what I have because you need something if that's what, if that's what it takes. And they were devoted to the world. They were devoted to taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. They were devoted. And that word devotion is sometimes a scary word. And I'm going to go ahead and get real heavy right out of the gate. I'm going to go ahead and we're just going to drop it like it's hot real quick. Okay, because I think we need to ask ourselves a big question. A really big question. And I don't mean this to be overly, I don't, I don't mean this to be overly heavy. I definitely don't mean this to condemn you in any way. But here's the question. I'm going to put a scale on this screen from zero to ten. And my question is this, how devoted are you? How devoted are you? At every campus right now, every single person that's listening to this, I want you to think about it. Where do you fall in your devotion to Christ, in your devotion to his church, in, in, in your devotion to, to spreading the gospel, to being a part of this we community? How devoted are you? Listen, this isn't a morality thing. This isn't a good to bad. This, isn't, this is just simply how devoted are you, and it's only between you and God. So be real. Be honest with yourself. This is a real-life question, and some of you, if you're honest with yourself, you're, you're down here toward a one or a two, and here's what I want you to know. I'm not going to yell and scream. I'm not going to tell you you got to be a 10 or you're not in or, or, or go off on you or anything else. No, no, no. Listen, if you're right here, here's what I want you to know. Number one, if you're in a one or a two range, I'm so proud of you for being at church today. Seriously, this is where you need to be. This is where you need to be dialed in. You need to be connected, and I'm so glad that you're here today. But here's my question is what would it take if you're at a two? What would it take to get you to a three? What, what would it simply practically take for you to just to take one step forward in your devotion toward Christ, toward the gospel, toward building his church, toward being a part of the we that God called us all to be a part of. What would that look like? Now, none of you are at a 10. None of you are way down far on that side of the spectrum because that's where Jesus lives. Okay, we don't live down there. But no matter where you are in that spectrum, what would it look like for you or what would it take for you to move forward one step in your devotion? No matter where you are, if you're at a four, you're at a five, you're at a six, what would it take in your personal life, in your family, for you to take one step forward in your devotion toward God, toward his church? And then here's another question. What would it look like if all of us move forward just one step? Wherever you are personally on that spectrum, what would it look like if us, City Hope family, those of you that call this home, what if, what if every single one of us decided to take a step forward? What would happen to our world? What would happen in our community? What would happen to our cities, to the places that we go to school and work? What would happen if collectively City Hope family took a step toward devotion? I believe we would change our communities. I believe we would change our state, and I believe we have the potential of changing our world. Because of our level of devotion. This is what it was in the early church that pushed them, that drove them, that ultimately got the church to where it is today. It was 12 guys, and then it was 120, and then it was 1,000, and then it was 3,000, and it just continued to grow. But ultimately, it came back to devotion. Their devotion literally changed the world. It was their devotion. It was their commitment. 
It was them saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm called to be a part of, the we of God. And I think it's interesting, and what made this community so beautiful is that it wasn't, the, the devotion of this community wasn't limited to the devotion of the 12 apostles. It wasn't just, it didn't just say that the apostles, the apostles, the professionals, they were so devoted to building the church that it grew and it grew and it became this beautiful thing. No, no, they, we, all of them were connected to the local church. They were connected to what God was doing and it grew and it grew and it grew. Listen, devotion goes beyond just attending and enjoying church. Devotion goes beyond that. Now, some people, when you first come to church, you got to get connected and you got to sit a little while and you got to learn, you got to grow, you got to you got to kind of be in that spot. But eventually, what happens is if is if your your devotion level is just attending and enjoying, then you become a consumer. And all of a sudden, you slip into the me side of this thing where you think that church is all about you. And we've said it, church is not all about you. Church is about we reaching the world, right? It's about we. So eventually, if your devotion level sits at a one or a two and it's more about me consuming church and me getting what I can get, then I never am able to contribute to the we, to what God wants to do through this church. What God wants to do through his church in the world today. And the way that we shift from me to we is discovering that every single one of us, we have a purpose. We have a place. And your place just isn't in that chair. I know it's a comfy chair and you got coffee and you got all this stuff. But the purpose isn't just to sit in the chair. The purpose is for us to do something. And every single per person has a purpose. Every single one of you, no matter what campus you're at, no matter where you are online right now, no matter where you are in the world, it does not matter. God created you with a purpose in your life that he wants you to fulfill, that he wants you to live out, that he wants you to fully understand and embrace and live out. You have a purpose. I heard a story years ago that comes to mind quite often because it's, it's humorous, but um, there was a, this kind of neighborhood bunch of kids, you know, that all kind of did life together, and they're all at ball practice, and they come home one day, and it's a bunch of boys, and there's one little sister in the mix, and so the, all the boys, they come in for baseball practice, and they just, they throw all their gear in a corner of the living room, right? You understand this? Right? They throw all their stuff right in the middle of the floor. They go, and they play, and they do their thing, and when the, the little sister kind of wanders in, and she starts kind of playing through all of the gear and all the baseball stuff and she picks up this odd piece of equipment that is shaped similar to an, an oxygen mask. It's not. It's an athletic cup and about the time the mom walks around the corner she's going <sighs> like that and the mom's going slow motion no right because there is no amount of Febreze in the world that's going to get that stank off you know. What I'm saying? Um, it's just pure nastiness, right? right? Here's the thing. If you don't know the purpose of something, all you can do is misuse it. That's all you can do, right? If you don't know the purpose of your life, the purpose of your personality, the purpose of your giftings and your strengths, the purpose of the why, the why behind how you are wired, then all you can do is misuse it. All you can do is think that showing up is okay. All you can do is think that being me-centered is okay until you realize that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Holy Spirit wired you specifically for a purpose on this planet. And I don't want you to misuse it. I don't want you to waste it. I don't want you to stand before God one day and him say, hey, listen, I put something in your hand. What did you do with it? 
listen, I gave you this purpose. I gave you this thing. What did you do with it? And you have to say nothing. Nothing. Let me say it to you this way. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. And listen, you see this all through the Bible. This isn't a brand new idea. You literally see it in every single story that God rescues people. He's in the business of rescuing people. He's in the business of grace. He's in the business of of, of saving people in the worst places possible. But it doesn't stop there. He immediately brings people in and he immediately points them to an assignment, toward a purpose, toward something that their life is meant to do. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, you see a guy like Joseph who's sitting in a prison. He's hopeless. He's in a dungeon. He's in a prison. And through a miraculous thing, God literally rescues him and pulls him out of this dungeon. And he does so for the purpose of saving his family from the famine that's coming. It gives him favor in Pharaoh's eyes, and all these things just begin to unfold. And the next thing you know, he's the second man in charge. Why? With the purpose of saving his family. Then the very next story is Moses. Moses should have died as a baby, right? At the time, Pharaoh was trying to kill everyone in that town. He was trying to kill everyone in that country. But God rescued him. He saved him. He put him in a basket, and he saved him. Why? Because he wanted Moses to be the man that would walk to the Pharaoh, that would walk into Egypt and say, all these people, they're coming with me. Right, story after story, you fast forward to the New Testament, it's the same pattern over and over again. God saved Paul, why? To send him to the nations. Over and over and over again, you see this, that you weren't just saved from something, you were saved for something. We'll say it this way too, that saved people serve people. Saved people, you, we serve people, that's why we're here. We're here to bring as many people as we can out of bondage out of death out of sin it's our role it's who we are but the thing is is that god didn't just say hey listen here's this purpose that you have here's this this calling here's this thing that you're meant to do he didn't just do that he gave you something specific to help you do it he didn't just kind of push you out of the nest and say go get him tiger figure it out on your own no but he gave you a gift each and every one of us we have a gift waiting for us to receive In the New Testament, it's called a spiritual gift. It's something that God uniquely put in your life. I mean, it is a grace gift that can only be given by the grace of God that each and every one of us possesses. And in the New Testament, there are listed upwards of 20 of them. But most theologians and and, and scholars believe that that's not an exhaustive list, that it's more representative of what the Holy Spirit gives. But there are so many different spiritual gifts that each and every one of you possess. Every single one of us, we were given a spiritual gift. We were given this so that we can operate, so that we can live and do what it is that we're purposed to do. He didn't just say, hey, you'll figure it out, man. Just get out there and flounder around a little bit. No, he gave you the right gear, the right equipment, the right gifting. He, he, he came in and he just supernaturally took your abilities and your personality and your past and all these different things and he, and he just gave you the kiss of grace to give you a gift to do something for the world. Every single one of us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so that we can help each other. The New King James says it this way, For the profit of all. The the NIV says for common good, for the common good of all mankind. Right, The spiritual gift that each and every one of us were given is not just for ourselves to enjoy or to embrace or to use out in the workplace. No, it's meant for God's purposes. 
ultimately to move his kingdom forward, to move his purpose forward. It's the reason each and every one of us were given it from the Holy Spirit. And I know what some of you are thinking. I don't, I don't have anything like that. He skipped me. When the conveyor belt, the assembly line thing was happening, and he was giving some people white hair and some people black hair, and he was giving some people a big nose, some people big lips, some people whatever, right? He was handing out all this stuff. He just skipped over the spiritual gifting department for me. But he didn't. You see it over and over in the New Testament that every single one of us were given a gift, something that God said, listen, this is yours, not just for you, but for you to use to complete the purposes that I put you on this planet to complete, to live out your calling, to live out your purpose, to live out who it is that God created you to be. 1 Peter 4.10 says, when speaking of spiritual gifts, he says, use them well to serve one another. He says, use them well. Look, use them well means that we got to do a couple different things. And the first one is this. The first thing that we've got to do to be able to use these spiritual gifts well is we've got to identify them. You've got to, you've got to know what your spiritual gift is. You've got to know what your spiritual gift is so that you understand how it plays into your purpose. How, how you fit into the we of the church into the we of what God wants to do, not only here, but throughout the entire world. God wants to do something amazing, and you and I, we're a part of it. But you have to identify your gifts. You've got to figure it out. Here's the deal. Out of Christ followers, even the most amazing churches, the most amazing Christ followers, only one-third of believers know what their spiritual gift is. Only one-third know what their spiritual gift is. So in all of our campuses right now, if I were to go grab a microphone and, and bring it out here and just say, all right, one by one, let's go right over here on the end. Come on, everybody line on up here. Give me, your, give me your spiritual gifts. Go ahead. Tell me the first one, the second one, the third one, because we've all got several. Go ahead, tell me what they are. The majority of you and at every campus right now, you wouldn't know. You may would guess, and you'd look at your wife and hope that she confirms or denies, <laughs> Right? You just kind of hope that I'm kind of, oh, maybe, I don't know, I'll figure this thing out. But listen, you have to know because this is the way God graced you to be used in the world. He wants to use you in that, in that way. And only one-third of our church knows what their spiritual gifts are. Only one-third of our church understands what their spiritual gift is. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8 says this. Let's just give you an idea of a few of them. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's, if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If, if, it's, um, if it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. There are so many different gifts, so many different things that God wants to use in our life. Let me just show you another list. This is a list of six quickly that I'll kind of I'll walk through real fast. But some of you in this room have a gift of leadership, which just means that you have a special supernatural, you have a next gear, a next level when it comes to leading people toward a desired future. You just, you just got this extra something that people look at you and they go, that guy is a leader. That guy is a leader, the gift of mercy. People with the gift of mercy blow my mind because I don't have any of it. <laughs> Blows my mind, okay? I don't know if that's in agreement, that applause. <laughs> you know me too well, sir. Okay, 
All right, but people that can walk into the worst situation, the hospital rooms and the funeral homes and just the worst thing, and they know what to say, they know how to embrace, they know how to bring care into a devastating environment is someone with the gift of mercy. The gift of hospitality isn't just opening a door, it's creating an environment for God to do what God wants to do. It's setting the tone, it's setting the atmosphere, and some of you are so amazing at just at inviting guests to your home. Right? Why? Because you're setting an environment for God to work, to God, for God to do something. Small group hosts, guest services people, man, are just, are just so excited to be able to bring this gift to life for God to use you. The gift of giving, this goes beyond just all of our role and responsibility as givers. This goes beyond it. Some people in our church, some people in, in, the, in the faith, they have this extra gear, this extra level, man, where they work to give. They work hard so they can give above and beyond, and they can bless in a big, big way. This is what brings fulfillment and joy to their life to be able to give. The gift of administration, man, some of you guys have this gift, and it just simply means they know how to get some junk done. You know what I'm talking about? You know those kind of people? They just know how to make stuff happen. Man, they can, they can drive something. They can push something. They can list some things out. They can administer. They can get things done. And then this gift of helps is just people that simply want to help rocket science right somebody that just simply wants to help anything wherever they can jump in wherever they can be a part of wherever they can use their two hands their feet their mind and they want to get engaged and want to be a part of something okay there are over 20 of these that you were wired for you're geared for and God said listen there's an extra level there's an extra level that you were built for and when you find that extra level when you operate in it, when God begins to use you through it, I'm telling you, you walk away with a deep sense of fulfillment that you've never experienced before. When God begins to use you in that way, and all of a sudden, I'm telling you, it's like, I've never fired on, fired on all those cylinders before. Like, there's just, there's something happening. There's just, there's this fire. There's this passion. Like, I didn't realize I could, that those things could come out of me so easily. I didn't realize that I could, I could step into that hard situation and, and I could actually be help. I, I didn't realize that I could be used in that way. And you walk away with this sense of fulfillment to know, man, God used me. God used me, this flawed human being with all these problems and all these issues. God actually used me. There's this unreal sense of personal fulfillment. And people begin to look and they begin to affirm and go, man, I don't, know, I don't know what you're into right now. I don't know what God's got you going. I don't know what lane, where you're running, what's going on, but it's right. There's fruit coming from it, man. There's this fire. There's this thing that's happening. And I'm going to affirm that. I'm going to confirm that. Right? Because there's this fulfillment that comes when we live and we operate in it. So the first thing is to identify it. And the second thing is this, is to find your fit. To find your fit. Again, to go back to Romans, uh, to, to go back to Romans 12.4, it says it this way. We'll throw that scripture up there. Romans 12.4, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We all fit together as one body, okay? A body would look really odd with six or seven arms, right? Right, or, you know, to even make it more awkward, like 12 nostrils, right? Would just be, yeah, some of you guys are nostrils. Let's just embrace it, okay? But we all fit. 
We all come together and we all create this body of Christ that, God, that he wants to do something in our world. So think about it like this. There are only one-third of us that know our spiritual gifts. Only one-third of us that potentially have found our fit. So that means that there's a lot of parts of this body that are not connected yet. That are not helping us get to the desired future. Helping us get to the purposes of God. Of being the church that we're called to be. You've got to identify it and then you've got to find your fit. And what happens so often... It's people jump in to this pool, and they go, okay, I'm going to go through next. I'm going to learn my spiritual gifts. I'm going to figure out what that is, and I'm going to get on a team. I'm going to find a way to serve, whether it's an outreach or it's, it's on a weekend or it's in kids or wherever it is, prison ministry, wherever it is. Man, I'm going I'm to jump into the pool. And what happens so often is you spend three or four months kind of floundering around the pool, trying to figure it out, and you go, nah, this isn't for me. And what happens is so many people get up on the deck of the pool and just begin to sunbathe. And you spend 15 years there. And you think, well, hey, I tried, man. I tried to jump in. I tried to do my part. I tried to be a part of this whole thing. But it just, it just didn't work. Like, it just it wouldn't connect. It wouldn't happen. And so, you know, I've been, I've been over here just sunbathing, just enjoying it. Just, in, just enjoying church, man. I just, I just enjoy this thing. Man, it's so good. I get something out of it. The worship, the preaching, the... Man, all the coffee is so good. I get this, I get that. And it's like we just get settled right there instead of realizing that you got to stay in the pool for a little while. It's completely normal to swim around the pool a little bit until you find your fit. But I guarantee you when you find your fit and it connects and it clicks and you become part of this thing, there will be a fulfillment, a sense of fulfillment unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life. I promise you. Those of you that know it, some of you, I'll say this, some of you that are, have gone through next and you've, you've found that spiritual gift and you've begun connecting to a team, you may be in a spot right now where you're swimming around the pool and you're going, this just isn't working. I'm not feeling a connection right here. I'm not, I'm not feeling this. It isn't quite working. And, you're, and your natural instinct is to just slowly, I don't want to make some awkward scene. I don't want to be weird about it, so I'm just slowly going to start telling them I can't serve this weekend, and then slowly I'm just going to ease on out of here, and the next thing you know, you're not even showing up anymore, right? Instead of realizing, listen, we as a church, we want to help you find your fit. Campus pastors, team directors, coordinators, all these guys that, 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 that work at our campuses, what they want to do is they want to get you in your fit. Because we all understand that as the body of Christ, when we're in our fit and we're working together, then God can do amazing and miraculous things through us in the world. So our hope is that you get on a team. You get around that pool, you find your fit, you figure out where you fit in this thing so that we can be the body of Christ that we are called to be. You got to identify it. You got to identify it. And then you got to find your fit. you got to jump in. Listen, let me tell you real quick what's not a spiritual gift. And I mean this with all the joy and happiness in my heart. Spiritual gift. Attending church is not a spiritual gift. Just be, let's just be real about it. Okay? Attending church is not a spiritual gift. When you get to heaven... And God says, listen, I put a gift, I put a resource, I put something in your hand for you to do something with it. One of the, he will not say, hey, listen, I gave you the gift of, of, of attendance. And man, bro, home run every time. Like, killed it. Okay, not going to happen. Okay, that's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is something for you to, to contribute. 
for you to give of yourself, for you to be a part of something bigger than you and where you are right now. And through it, there will be such a deep sense of fulfillment. Um, there's a family. Let me just tell you a couple quick stories. There's a family um, at City Hope Foley that, um, that, is, a, um, that is an amazing uh, family that gives. Their, their spiritual gift is of forgiving. And, and, and whenever I say that, they don't just give the normal, you know, what we're all kind of called to give, tithes and offerings, but they go above and beyond and they give big. And a couple years ago, they've always done this. They've given really, really big. And a couple years ago, actually last year, um, the business began to hit some rough patches, began to slow down. And actually, there was an attorney that even suggested that they file for bankruptcy. And this couple prayed and they believed. They said, no, no, this is, God's not done with this. He's not done with this venture, with what he, with what he wants to do through this company and, and, and the finances and the resources. He's just not done. And we came up on Merry Christmas Gulf Coast. And this family had always done big. They'd always given big. And, and they walked up on this and they were literally looking at this situation going, I don't even know that we can do anything this year. It's that big of a deal. And in prayer one day, God told them, said, double what you did last year. Double it. They had no idea how in the world that was going to be possible. Obviously, God did a miracle and he provided the finances, and that's awesome. But that's not even the miracle. What's so cool about the story, God did this and the resources began, began to come. But what God did through it was he pinpointed their spiritual gift. And through their spiritual gift brought healing, brought trust, brought peace back to the fact that God is still here. God leaned in and said, hey, remember the way I wired you? That's what I want you to do right now. I know you're up against the ropes and you're up against this really tough thing, but here's what I want you to do. Lean into the way I'm wired, I've wired you. Like, like give more than you've ever given before. If your gift is hospitality, love people more than you ever have before. Whatever it is, he says, lean into that. And in that moment of trusting God with everything, God showed up. And they walked away with a miracle, but they walked away knowing that, God, you are with me. Like right here in the middle of this terrible situation, you're right here with me. Amazing. There's a family at City Hope Mobile. Um, and and let, me, let me actually kind of go back a little bit further on this one because I've, I've, I've kind of dropped this story a few times here lately. It's extremely exciting to me. But um, you may have heard me talk about the gentleman who, um, who gave his life to Christ um, at Church Online, but he's from Norway. You may have heard me mention, I've mentioned it a few different times, um, but there's a gentleman that every single week, he may be on right now, that tunes in every single week, and he's connected to our online pastor. There's, this, there's discipleship, there's connection. It's just this beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, every week the story just unfolds. The story just kind of gets deeper and deeper, and there's new layers. And just this past week, I found this out. Um, there's a couple... Uh, City Hope Mobile, Neil and Kim uh, Rouse that go to City Hope Mobile. They're just this amazing couple um, with the gift of hospitality. And last summer, um, and I, you know, last summer was a long time ago, and I, I vaguely remember this, but there was a message where I specifically talked about fostering, um, be, becoming a foster parent. And you may remember that, that it just, man, it just hit me one day just how bad that system is and how few parents there are. And it's struggling, and so I just said, hey, church, let's be the church. Let's do something, and, and Neil and Kim, they did. They said, yep, that's us. There's a passion. There's a hospitality gift. We can open up our home for kids. Well, the process to foster is extremely long to become a foster parent, and they didn't want that passion to die out, so what did they do? They decided to house a foreign exchange student from Norway. From Norway. You know where the story is going. Because of this open heart, this hospitality, this, man, God used me in this way, they opened their house to this foreign exchange student who's still at their home. He lives with them now, and his dad lives in Norway. 
And so every day, he, came, he would come to City Hope Mobile. He gave his life to Christ. He got pumped. He got excited. He's on a team. He's doing his part. And every time he'd call dad, he would talk about God and City Hope as much as he was talking about studies and schools and what's going on. And all of a sudden, his dad began to watch, and they began to connect by going to church together thousands of miles apart. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And now this gentleman has given his heart to Christ. He's connected. And here's this family on opposite sides of the world that are just growing together. But here's the deal. It goes all the way back to Neil and Kim who knew their gift. They stepped out and they said, you know what, my gift is hospitality, which means that I love having people over. I love creating spaces. I love setting the mood and the tone so that God can happen, so that relationship can happen, so that beautiful things can happen. And they just set this table. They set this place. And because of that, God is just working and doing something. Every single one of us have a purpose. Every single one of us. And I guarantee you that when you step out and you step into that and you begin to to feel that sense of fulfillment and God begins to use you in a new and exciting way, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. Let me go back to my question and ask it in a slightly different way. The last question, what would it look like if we all took this step toward devotion? I mean, think about it. If every single one of us, City Hope family, if all of us took the step of devotion toward finding out my spiritual gift and operating in it, Thousands of people on the Gulf Coast excited and passionate about the reason God put them on this earth. We would change our cities. We would change our communities. We would change our state. We'd change the Gulf Coast. We would change our nation if all of us, 100% of our church, not a third, but 100% said, yeah, that's my next step of devotion. That's my next step, man. I'm going to find out why I'm put on this earth. And I'm going to operate. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to find out what it is. I'm just going to run. I'm going to go, I'm going to do the thing that God put me on this earth to do. And we have a way for you to do that. You've heard us talk about it over and over and over again, but a part of the next class is a spiritual gifts assessment, where we spend time, our campus pastors, our team directors, we spend time talking about and looking at and going through all the different facets and aspects of spiritual gifts and talking about what it looks like to plug you into the body, to plug you into the church, the we of the church. And so I want, to end, I want to leave you with this, is that today, next happens at every single campus. Every single campus. And I pray to God that we don't have enough lunch for you. I do. I pray that a campus pastor's got to pray and believe that they can start breaking some fish and start breaking some loaves and start multiplying some food. Um, I hope somebody's got to make a run over here to this restaurant or that restaurant because so many of you say, yeah, yeah, this is it. This is, this is what I'm called for. This is, this is the next step for me. This is, this is my next level of devotion is for me to just stop consuming and start contributing. Start being a part of what God wants to do through the local church because this is the hope of the world. You and I, we are the hope of the world. So today at 1230 at every single campus, get to next. Get to next. It will change your life. Go through the process. Don't, don't just, oh, maybe this month or that month or whatever. No, stay connected. Stay completely dialed into it, and let's see what God does through every single one of us. You with me? I said, are you with me? City Hope family, come on, you with me?
All right, Jesus, Lord, we pray right now that you would seal this challenge, this word in all of our hearts. God, that it wouldn't be just something that we just pass by, but God, that, um, that even just thinking about our own devotion level, I pray that it just sits heavy in our heart. God, not in a condemning way, but God, in a conviction way, God, that you just would, would spur us on, would challenge us, would just push us, God, to be greater, to do something more than we've ever done before. And that, God, and I pray that today would be the day that we wouldn't put it off any longer, but, God, that we would take a step toward this, toward our purpose, toward walking and living in our purpose in you so that we can be the church, so that we can affect change in our communities and in our world. God, we give you everything. And we pray, God, that through this church, you are the hope of the world. God, that we would be everything that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.